Hello and welcome back to the Elevate Music podcast, dedicated to helping musicians improve their health and well-being in partnership with Help Musicians. I'm Lucy Heyman, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about being an online musician. Over the last year, the workplace has changed dramatically for musicians, with many finding that teaching and performing has had to go online in the lockdowns. However, a year on, and we find ourselves with a lot more platforms than just going live on Facebook or connecting on Zoom. So what are the options and how do you navigate them? To help me unravel this, I spoke to digital music expert David Taylor, who has written extensively about this subject on his blog series, The Online Musician. David tells me about all the different passive income streams you can find in the online space and how to get creative in your online shows to pull greater audiences. But first of all, I spoke to Chris Reed, otherwise known as Plastician, who told me about his successful shows on the platform Twitch. He also describes how to engage with an audience online and how he's even branched out to writing a book in order to diversify his income streams. Let's hear from Chris. Can you tell me a little bit about what your work was like 18 months ago? So I guess for me, a lot of my work would come through gigging, obviously, as it is for most DJs. I'd say I probably like gig once every sort of like 10 days on average, something like that at the moment. So it wasn't like I was flat out gigging constantly, but gigs did make up quite a large chunk of my monthly income because that is where the money tends to be. Obviously, release music as well. There's royalties coming in from that. But the bulk of my work week was spent kind of running the label, consulting at Pirate Studios and doing the gigs on the weekend. Can you tell me what it's like DJing to a huge crowd of people? Can you try and explain what what that feeling is like, that connection with the audience? Yeah, it's really hard to like put your finger on what it really feels like because I think often you used to get asked, like, oh, do you get nervous before gigs? And I feel like the few gigs that I've done since the lockdown started, like the kind of like live stream type gigs, not even like live gigs in front of actual people, I felt more nervous about leaving my house to do these kind of like socially distanced live stream type things than I did about playing in front of big crowds of people. I think it was like a buzz for me, like playing in front of a big audience and the challenge that comes with that to like, particularly with a big audience where you'll maybe find yourself on a festival stage in between some big acts and you've got to try and like keep the crowd there. You know, they can easily move on at a festival to some other stage and find something else going on. So that challenge of like finding a massive audience in front of you that probably 90% of them don't really know who you are and really trying to like find the sweet spot between here's the artist that they might be waiting, something that sounds a bit like the artist they might be waiting to hear, here's something that they would have never heard before. Like that that side of DJing is something that I really enjoy and I miss that a lot. And I think I really enjoyed doing that, you know, in a big stage was really quite quite um, challenging compared to maybe doing it in a smaller venue in front mm-hmm. of people who are really tuned in to what you do. But, you know, that's equally as enjoyable, like when you've got a really switched-on crowd in a small venue in a, like a basement in London somewhere where it, the sound is massive and that's just as exciting as playing to a big crowd for me. So how has the pandemic changed the way you work? I work freelance, so I was kind of put on hold by, by my employer at the time. I found myself in a a slightly fortunate spot that I have a background in streaming and stuff Mm -hmm. that I know how to live stream. I think at the time it wasn't, we weren't certain how long it was going to be going on for, but I think pretty much everything in my calendar for the foreseeable until like around Christmas time 
so pretty much the next four to six months was all cancelled like there and then and I just figured out that my work week is now pretty much freed up as well I've got I've got to do something with my time I've got to try and find some new ways to bring in revenue from my experience of streaming and what I knew about it up to that point I knew I could get up and running streaming and I knew that Twitch as a platform was probably best suited to try and monetize any potential for those streams really whereas other platforms maybe have a slightly bigger audience but there's not really that culture of like tipping or subscribing to people so it just opened up a potential there and it was just literally like thinking like in terms of work it was like where else can I make any kind of like passive income you know uh, things like Bandcamp offering the 100% of the revenue to artists on those Fridays and I thought well I'm going to take full advantage of that and I'll put a release together schedule it for that Friday make sure that people know about it you know little things like that was just like really like galvanizing a lot of stuff that I already knew and in terms of the streaming was just like putting that knowledge into practice to see if that could like speculate some new income maybe and also just to like keep some visibility about me and what I'm doing so that if and when we did come out the back of it I'd still be someone that promoters were aware of and thought of and kind of had a rough idea what I was into like music wise as well. Can you tell me a bit more about Twitch? So Twitch as a platform is a little bit more geared towards people watching live streams as opposed to like, you know, lots of other platforms do it. Facebook, YouTube, etc. Everyone knows Instagram, which obviously Instagram was quite popular at the beginning of lockdown, but it, it doesn't, it's not as well suited to interaction with the live audience as something like Twitch is, which has a kind of viewership of people who kind of just hang out in the chat. I think people that land on a YouTube live stream are landing there directly from somewhere else. So normally, like if you tweet about it or if you post about it on one of your social media platforms, then they'll land on YouTube. But it's very hard to stumble into a live stream on YouTube, whereas on Twitch, you might land on Twitch and you can kind of browse live streams and you might you can see, oh, this is a popular stream in the music category and let's see what that person's playing. So for me, I like the idea of like putting myself in the shop window for like a completely new audience of people that maybe are a little bit more used to watching people on Twitch and hanging out. And I think also for me, it was like I didn't want to just DJ. I wanted to like interact. I have a background in radio. So back in the day, radio was very much about that live interaction on like the phone line. That was what got you buzzing when you were doing pirate radio and stuff like that. And then I stopped radio in 2017. And one of the main reasons I kind of finished with it for a while was that when I was doing live radio the interaction was all but almost gone because most people would just listen to it in the week when they found time they'd download it as a like a mix or a podcast or you know listen to it on SoundCloud in the week all of that live interaction was gone and that buzz of like actually like interacting with the people listening to the show and I thought that Twitch being a little bit more geared towards the live stream and not like the content that lived after it like it maybe YouTube is a lot better for that and I thought well you know if I'm going to do live streaming I'm going to do it somewhere where I'm going to get some back and forth from the viewers and you know make it opens up a little bit more to like do stuff that is a bit more conversational or like I was doing these quizzes to get people involved that maybe were not even there to like listen to what I was doing musically it was a little bit more like open to households of people who are stuck indoors with their parents and that and it's like we can do a quiz get your whole household involved and I think it was that realization at the time of we're all stuck indoors as well and and I think at the beginning it felt a lot more like we're really stuck indoors now like no one really knew what was going on I think the lockdowns since have been as much as people are still taking them seriously I think it's like 
you didn't feel that like, oh my God, I can't go outside. I think that that lockdown and, you know, like the shielding of family members and all that kind of stuff meant that some people were stuck indoors on their own. So even coming onto the Twitch to hang out in the chat and chat with other people viewing it, it created this little community around what I was doing. And once that started, it was just kind of steamrolled from there, really, to keep it going. So you said Twitch has quite a good reputation for tipping. How have you found it financially? Have you found that it's been able to support you? You know, can you pay the bills from it? Or is it quite a different income stream to, say, performing live? It's definitely different from performing live. It's, I mean, you know, you put a lot of hours into it as well. Like I stream three nights a week for at least a couple of hours every time. So, you know, it was like six hours of my work week is spent streaming if I look at what I earn from that and put it into an hourly rate, it's not a lot of money at all. And I think like over the course of a month, I'm still earning less than I would playing a one hour gig somewhere. It's not really on the same playing field, but I've been around long enough to know that nothing comes overnight. You know, it has steadily grown more and more month on month. I think at the beginning of lockdown, I was probably earning quite a lot more from like tips that were coming through like PayPal. Whereas now I think that the majority of the money I earn on Twitch is from like subscribers who come back every month and resubscribe. And, you know, I take about, I think I make about £2.50 roughly from each of those. There is money to be made. If you can become like a really popular streamer, you can probably make really good money. You know, the kind of tier that I'm operating, it will help pay for some of the bills, but not like any of them entirely. It, it's just like, another extra bit of money that's coming in that I wasn't earning before. I can't see it would ever replace DJ gigs. I've been gigging for like years as well, so I can earn quite well from a gig. Whereas if you're a lesser established DJ, the money that you could earn from Twitch could actually surpass what you might earn from a gig quite quickly if you keep at it. And can you tell me about the audience interaction on Twitch, like compared to when you're doing it live? How does it compare? Do you feel you can interact with the audience on Twitch? Yeah, a lot more, actually. I think that a lot of people always ask, like, oh, where's the recordings from your, like, we want to listen back. And I'm like, it's not really a listen back type show because whilst I am mixing, I'm also like having like banter with the people in the chat about whatever they're talking about. So if you were to just listen to that out of context in the week while you're doing spreadsheets or something, it would sound like I was having a one-way conversation with a brick wall. We'd be like, what is he talking about? You know, it does. so it's very, I approached that differently to like, as if I was going to like go in and perform a, an actual mix or the interaction is very personal. You know, there are like running jokes in the chat. People will refer back to stuff that we were talking about on the show last week. And it kind of lives a lot more as a live couple of hours than it does as a listen back type thing. You said earlier about how you got a lot more nervous for a live streamed event than sometimes you would with an audience in front of you. Can you tell me a bit about that? It must be kind of strange doing it to an empty room. Yeah. Do you know, I think it was mostly down to the fact that I've just been so used to DJing in this little room that I'm in now, talking to you in, that when I got invited to play a live stream that was being filmed at Brixton Jam, I'm sitting there and I was like, wow, like, I'm actually leaving my house to do a DJ gig. And it felt really weird. Like, I can't really explain how it felt because I wouldn't say it was like nerves, but it was almost like, it was quite emotional in a weird way. It was like, yeah. this is the closest that I've been to like actually doing a gig. I'm going to I'm gonna be set up on a stage. So I think it was like kind of like that emotional, like, wow, I'm actually going to be DJing on a stage later. Even though there was only like three people in the building that were like just literally like manning the live stream and, and checking the lighting and the cameras. It was weird. It was like nerves. It was emotion. It was 
not expected, put it that way. I didn't think I would feel any different. But it, I, it was nice to like go there and just hear music played through like a club sound system mm -hmm. as well. That was like a treat. The sound system that I, I run my DJ uh, set up through here is not great. So just to hear the music and even just like to be able to see a venue, be the inside of a venue again was nice, definitely. Hopefully when all this is over and we can return to in-person gigs, do you think you'll go back exclusively to in-person DJing or do you think you'll carry on with the streaming as well? I get asked this quite a lot actually by people who kind of frequent the streams regularly and my gut feeling is that I will continue the streams as well because I owe it to the people that, you know, if someone's paid to subscribe to my channel, I can't just not turn up for the month. It's almost like I owe it at least them. Um, it might be that like the frequency of the streams has to slow down a little bit so that, you know, like I can balance a bit of family time and work and streaming and at the moment it's like I'm already burning the candle at both ends. If you put gigging back into the mix again it's like I don't know where I'm going to find time for anything in the week um, that isn't work or gigging that probably means that yeah I'd, I'd imagine that you know I might knock one of the days off in the week maybe like stream at the beginning of the week instead and then like the weekend might be left for doing actual gigs I've definitely got no plans to slow the streaming down unless like my life dictates otherwise I mean, it's incredibly hard to plan for the future right now, but are you making plans or are you just seeing how things emerge? Yeah, I think it is hard to make proper solid plans. I'm trying to maintain what I'm doing now and I'm optimistic that hopefully when the vaccine spreads out a bit more and hopefully some things can open, it might be out. It might be a few outdoor things. I'm not, I have very low expectations for this year because I don't want to disappoint myself. I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing I'm always on the lookout for ways to like make a bit of extra money here and there. You know, like um, recently did a campaign with Bandcamp to press a record that never came out on vinyl from like 2008. And that seems to be selling quite well. It's made its pledge. So it will be going to a full press. So little things like that. I wrote a, I wrote a joke book at the end of last year and published that on Amazon. And that brought in a bit of extra cash. It's like, I'm yeah. always looking for things that like I weren't, doing before so mm -hmm. oh, I might be able to earn some money doing that maybe that so I suppose that like, my future now is like I'm always on the lookout for ways to make passive income anything that frees up time in my day-to-day -day. so automating bits of my social media anything that makes life a little bit easier so that as much as like there's maybe not as much money out there to potentially make if all these little things are making little bits of money and I'm not having to like slug away at them all day I'll come out of this and then I might get gigs and it'll be like, great. Like the gigs will feel like such an injection of cash. It'll be like, wow, I've got actual money back again. But yeah. as well as if the gigs got back to where they were before, I'd have the benefit of all these new little revenue streams that have popped up through lockdown. And hopefully, you know, like in a couple of years time, if things do go back to normal or, or semi-normal, I might find myself in a better position then than I was pre-lockdown because of all these little things that I've figured out along the way. I'm just going to continue doing that, I think, just trying to learn more about ways to make passive income, making clever investments where possible with my money, being very tight with the money that I do have as well. Um, I've not spent really anything, to be honest. I haven't bought anything I didn't need. So if I can take some of that out of lockdown when things do get back to normal, I might find myself in a really good spot. And that's, I think that is like something positive 
to look forward to is that my mindset will be so different and I think I'll be so appreciative mm-hmm. of doing some gigs again. So a part of me is like, if I can keep, if I can maintain a good level of like mental health and attitude towards the back end of this, I think I'll benefit tenfold from it when you appreciate being able to spend time with friends and family, taking the kids to soft play, all that stuff that we took for granted pre this, get that back and life is going to feel amazing, I think. If that happens, everything else will start falling into place. That was producer and DJ Plastician. And if you want to watch the shows he was describing, head over to the website twitch.tv. We'd like to thank Help Musicians for their support in bringing you this episode. They're an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated program of health and welfare, creative funding opportunities and business support, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. When the pandemic hit this time last year, online expert David Taylor was in a unique position, being ahead of the curve as he already worked in digital performance. As a result, David quickly created a blog series, giving musicians all the information they needed to get up and running online as fast as possible. I caught up with David to find out more and to see what options are available to musicians one year on. Can you tell me a bit about the work that you do? At the moment, my role is definitely a bit niche. I'm both a coach and consultant for musicians or arts organisations, orchestras, etc. Mainly around how to communicate online. So digital consultant is the usual catch-all title I think I tend to use. But in essence, basically helping people tell their story, and especially if that story is online as well, or the the medium through online. And my original background is from being a self-starter. I was originally a cellist, and then from there set up a youth orchestra where we had no money. All the sort of traditional pathways were closed, and as a result, that both made me have to go online to get around those pathways and around those gatekeepers but also because we had no money I had to spend my nights googling and watching YouTube tutorials and basically having to figure out how to do it with what I had available. And so how did your role change a year ago? My work that I had planned was cancelled. I was in a rather awkward situation where I was between contracts, so I was waiting to, to have things confirmed, which then all fell through, understandably. Um, so things did change for me personally on that level quite a lot, but I was in a lucky situation where, from being self-employed and having quite short contracts, I deliberately have a mini float, mm-hmm. so was able to, to survive on that until the size stuff came in quite nicely. So I used that time to, to try and help others in this realisation that the music sector, especially in classical music, but also other genres, isn't great at preparing you for being more entrepreneurial and definitely haven't given you the the skills to succeed online. It's very much a self-starter approach. Uh, so at that point, I started a blog series on how to be an online musician, which carried on for my, my usual blogging about music careers, my ideas on the sector. And that was to try and get as much information out there into the world as possible to help musicians, either about the nitty gritty what may seem simple of which button do I press on Facebook to go live or what thing, the wire do I need for this? All the way up to then the more like conceptual, what is the theory bit around creating a financial ecosystem that monetizes your content? It wasn't necessarily a thought through guide that goes from step by step by step. It was very much a reacting to what people were requesting. Teaching became probably the most requested thing at the very beginning is obviously that was the the thing that could continue online most 
profitably and most easily. So that became the main drive at the beginning of how to resource musicians to do that. And then from there, I went more into the actual performing side and monetizing and all the various bells and whistles and came, came with it as well. It was really heartwarming to see the reaction of musicians. It was also heartbreaking because many reached out to tell their stories and share their experiences and sort of that wasn't something I was expecting and almost, it certainly helped with motivation going through, but it was certainly harrowing to see just how much it was affecting absolutely everyone across all walks of life within our, our world. How have you seen that space changing over the course of the year? We heard from DJ Plastician before. He was saying how at the beginning everyone was going live on Instagram and social media and how actually over time that's actually changed and people have gone to sort of proper music streaming platforms like Twitch. What are your observations on on the sort of progress of it all? I think there's two elements of sort of the big establishment organisation bit and then there's the musicians bit. And the bit I get really excited by at the moment is that the big organisations with all the money and the culture recovery fund who are being supported better than those who are excluded and those who want self-supported income are not necessarily the ones who are innovating at the moment. Mm. I'm a big believer in uh, necessity is the mother of invention and there is a lot of necessity around mm. at the moment for, for musicians who are freelance or um, even those who are employed. So all of a sudden it's been great to see this sort of creativity come out, not just in the art that they're making during this time, but also ways around monetizing it. Classical music, I think, hasn't gone towards Twitch and I'm perplexed as to why. I think maybe because it's out of the realms of our, of what we look at, but also there isn't necessarily an established audience there at the moment for us. I think comedy as well as uh, things like DJ sets has been a great example of those that have embraced Twitch during this time. But there are many reasons why it's good to do that with active donations. If you have an Amazon Prime subscription as an audience member, you can give that donation for free to your favourite creator. So there's plenty of reasons why as well. Also seeing as well that there's various new platforms available. So things like Tides, which are just rebranded or reformed into a new organisation called OnJam, which is a concert platform where you can put your own concerts, live streams, pre-records, and then either sell tickets or accept donations. So there's then these grassroots technology firms who are there to serve and cater for musicians as well. And it's been great seeing how that can potentially benefit people. Now this idea of having donations is is really beneficial. Which is your favourite streaming platform? In terms of the one I consume the most, it's definitely YouTube, although I, it's also the only one that I pay for. So I actually have a YouTube premium member, which I would not expect myself to do. But for me, it's been really useful. And then probably from their streaming it's a slightly different thing, but then maybe Instagram just it being slightly unique. I love the creativity that comes with those who are on Twitch and the gamers and the amount of effort they put into their streaming setups and overlays and widgets and all these bespoke things that have just spent hours making, just I think partly at the joy of it. And I think that'd be a fascinating model to go down and see what classical music in particular could reinvent itself out with all these overlays and tech gizmos and things and, and everything that comes along with that. So Chris was talking about how although he's spending a lot of time on Twitch and he's doing a lot of these concerts, you know, it really doesn't compare with the in-person concert model in terms of payment. What have you noticed about income streams and musicians and, and how do you see that musicians can actually make a living, not just pocket money online? It's very difficult. And if we wind back to the clocks to say pre-COVID, those people who are successful on YouTube take years to get to that point and it's very difficult and there's very complex monetization around that. I think there's a myth that big YouTubers make money off advertising and realistically they will make 20, maybe 25% of their income on YouTube from YouTube advertising. So in essence, it's everything else, which is 
potentially disheartening when you think about it, but it has huge benefits because if you can copy that model on a niche or a small micro level, it, it can be really, really beneficial for you. So in essence, it's monetizing the attention with your small audience that you have, either by offering additional products and services, not just donations, and then potentially partnering with other brands if that's formally or informally. So some good examples. I am absolutely obsessed with being, obviously from saying I'm obsessed with YouTube, with a YouTuber called Peter McKinnon who's into photography because I had to teach myself absolutely everything. It was watching all of his tutorials on photography and videoing and how to edit and all these different things. He does sort of a, a really complex in-depth tutorial once a week in effect and I would have watched them for about two, three years or something. But from there he also then sells his presets for editing in Photoshop so you can basically have photos that look like his and then on the flip side as well anything he advocates for which he gets paid for such as Skillshare or other technology and things he gets money for and I will then go and buy. And it's that flip side of what would that look like for you? And I think some great examples again from those at the start of their careers or those who aren't necessarily the big establishment at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite examples is Iboric and Baroque who were doing a live gym tasting halfway through their live stream concert, which was sponsored by a local gym company. And it's a very mm-hmm. unique way of doing it. And it's definitely reinventing the format. Um, I guess it's no different to interval drinks. So it's still authentic mm-hmm. to the experience, but they had it where people were also buying a gin pack that went to their home in lockdown as well and you were doing a gin tasting along at the same time there is options for making little bits of money all over the place my one secret hack at the moment is amazon affiliate links which i absolutely love if they click on it and buy it you get a certain commission of that and this can range between four to ten percent so say for example all of the abrsm exam books are on there so for all of your students instead of telling them to go away and buy an exam book you could send them a link to that book where you get commission from it and that's going to be a little bit of money for nothing. Then if you sort of take that further down the line, if that's strings, instruments, rosin, valve oil, all these different things, it's going to be, again, more money for nothing. It makes it convenient for your student. You start to recruit stuff mm-hmm. off the back of it. And I think it's there's not going to be one of these things you're going to be able to retire on, but starting to have all these little tiny income revenue streams built up is going to help us get through this period. It's going to make that income into something a little bit more substantial, but also give some security, same future if you have to go on maternity or paternity and you're self-employed or you have to become a carer or transport issues and all these different things. There's stuff that can keep ticking over in the background that I don't believe in passive income. Nothing's passive. You have to do some work, but they're there to help support you through this. I think that could be a really fascinating way to, to really re-examine what ways you can find income streams that can help support you in your main core output. Mm. So musicians are very busy people. This all sounds like a huge amount of work. Is there anywhere someone can go that you can just learn how to do all of this? My website is david-taylor.org. And on there, as well as the blog, there is also a little series called How to Be an Online Musician. And that kind of creates all this information, links, prices, the thoughts in my head. Um, so that potentially could be a good place for it. So if that may save you some time, that is available. Um, I'm a huge believer in Google as well. I know it does take time, and but... If, say, for example, you set aside 15 minutes a day to do your research of something else, if that's listening to a podcast, someone who does business, or to do searching and try and find alternatives, that's beneficial and try and find ways to just sort of put it into your day. I know musicians are busy. I know that we're also pretty fatigued at this point as well with the last year really giving us a battering. But I think training yourself to be curious about learning new things and finding these ways is one going to be beneficial now but if you get that skill set in of being curious you're going to be in a good situation to when the world is constantly changing going forwards and mm-hmm. uh, i don't have a crystal ball i have no idea what's happening but i think what i come back to is that if you in essence develop your skills and your ways of thinking and being able to adapt quickly that can only be a good thing for the future What do you think the role of live streaming will be once in-person concerts come back? For me, it's 
part and parcel of what's going to go forwards. I personally think that we were very much behind the curve with digital and live streaming before this. Mm-hmm. And in essence, that classical was one of the sort of the few Wild West areas of the internet that was still being claimed by people. So I think there's huge potential. I think there's huge benefits as to how it can support you and things like Patreon or Coffee and supporter programs and how that can help you as an individual. The ability for you to connect to audiences, to do teaching further abroad, to, to share your message, your arts and who you are. Also ways of monetizing things, because obviously that's you're going to want some money at some point and to have a, a livelihood, it's going to be part and parcel of what's going forward. The what that is, is then potentially a very different question. I think that is dependent on each individual. One thing I find fascinating is that everyone wants to do the same thing, in effect, regardless of whether it's their strength or their interest. So as an example, someone came to me in the summer asking for help in creating a YouTube channel, and they were a self-confessed um, social media newbie. But they knew YouTube was a big thing. They wanted to do lots on YouTube. Can you help me start YouTube? And through our, our first few conversations, we found out that she hated being on camera, she hated uh, filming, and also hated editing. So all of a sudden, YouTube seems like a really ridiculous proposition to do. But what we then found is that they, passionate about writing, really enjoyed photography. So all of us, it gets on, well, why don't you change to blogging and various things? Mm -hmm. So I think what is really important going forward is that it applies to your strength and your interest and things you enjoy doing. So yes, some people are doing digital performances and that's fantastic. But why not create a blog if you don't like being on camera or talking and these things? And basically make it a reflection and extension of you, your art, your creativity, and the things that you are good at doing and enjoy doing, especially because these things are hard to do. There's so much more chance of you sticking it if it's something you like, which is the reason my my Instagram account is so inactive. I love photography, but I also hate having photos taken of myself. So therefore, mm-hmm. I rarely post photos of myself, which is then bad mm-hmm. for my Instagram and I never use it. And I spend weeks umming and ahhing as to which photo to use. So it's, yeah, I think the, the idea of making sure it's something you enjoy is going to be really important to how you get started on your digital journey. But for me, it's part and parcel going forwards. And especially when it comes to, say, venues and artist managers going forwards, if there's a choice between you and someone else and you can bring an audience of people and they can't, they're going to go for you because they're going to want to sell tickets and everyone's going to be financially driven in that element. scary, I know, but I see it as a huge potential opportunity to really go forwards and add things to what you're currently offering. That was David Taylor, and to check out the series of online blog posts he mentioned, go to david-taylor.org. How have you found working online? Send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or find us on social media at elevatemusicpod and let us know. Thank you to Plastician and David for speaking to me. You've been listening to the Elevate Music podcast with me, Lucy Heyman. If you want to find out more about how to look after your health and well-being as a musician, Rianne Jones and I have just written a book on this topic. It's called Sound Advice and it's available at soundadvicebook.com, where we also have a free online directory of health, well-being and business resources for musicians. So do check those out. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen Entertainment in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity which provides essential and enduring support to make a meaningful difference to the lives of professional musicians. Thanks for listening. We've got lots of information about being a digital musician in our episode's show notes. In the meantime, take care and we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next episode.